Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into today's episode, we're hoping you might give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, we now know how much it costs to subsidize the construction of a VW EV battery plant in southwestern Ontario. We'll tell you what $13 billion gets you these days. The provincial government is extending its control over Ontario's school boards. Here's what that means for the education system. And the Ontario Superior Court of Justice has dismissed a case from some young environmentalists against the provincial government, but the justice had some choice words for Doug Ford. It's Tuesday, April 25th, 2023, so let's get to it. Okay, partner, last week we established that you apparently will attend Blue Jay baseball games, but maybe not Maple Leaf Stanley Cup playoff games. There have been three, I don't know if you're aware of this, there have been three games so far in the Leaf series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Have you seen any of it? Uh, so far, not even accidentally. Oh. I, I haven't even wandered past a bar where a game was playing. <laughs> I, I know you're holding that hope for me, Steve, but I'm beginning to think I just might never be a hockey guy. This is incredibly disappointing, I have to say. But l- l- let me see if I can get things back on track here, or maybe back on track. I am six episodes into this season's Star Trek Picard, and it is absolutely fantastic. Now, are you watching that? Well, of course I'm watching that, and okay. I'm ten episodes into that. So. Oh, you've watched all ten? I have, yes. You've watched the whole thing. Okay, no spoilers. Okay? No, no. I... It's amazing, though, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, fantastic. it's phenomenal. Okay, let's circle back to a couple of things we talked about off the top of last week's podcast. You and I were speculating about whether Navdeep Baines truly was out of the Ontario Liberal leadership race. You said he was definitely out. I wasn't so sure. I know he said he was out, but I also know he's got supporters hoping to change his mind. Well, so far, let's put it on the record. Mr. McGrath was right. He is out. Mr. Baines, the former federal liberal cabinet minister from Mississauga, just took a nice new job at Rogers. Uh, Yes, he's going to be the Chief of Corporate Affairs Officer at Rogers. Uh, Mr. Baines was at CIBC, and when he left the bank, it did get some people speculating about his possible return to politics. But this new job at Rogers would seem to close the door to that option. We also talked last week about uh, regional and county government in the province. I mean, we talk about that many weeks. It seems to come up a lot. Uh, If you missed that, you may want to go back and listen to last week's show because it was just barn-burningly controversial and rocky. It wasn't it ever. It really was. Regional government, man, hits us where we live. (laughs) But we thought we should follow up with some very, very nerdy factoids. Uh, Steve, you have heard of Simcoe County, yes? Uh, Of course, indeed. About an hour north of Toronto, near Barrie, yes. Why? Well, the northernmost three townships in Simcoe County are called Tiny Township, Tay Township, and Floss Township. Do you know where those names come from? Actually, I do not. I presume you're going to illuminate us here. I I am indeed. They are named after the three dogs of Lady Simcoe, Ah. who was the wife of former Lieutenant Governor John Graves Simcoe. Love the pronunciation of Lieutenant there. Putting a little bit of extra emphasis on that. (laughs) Uh, Full disclosure, we are going to uh, credit Toronto's former tiny perfect mayor, David Crombie, who passed that information along to us. Well, that's great. And, And since you mentioned David Crombie, let me follow up on that because I have a few trivialities of my own I can contribute to this. Mr. Crombie, who was the mayor of Toronto 50 years ago, is a legend and still contributing to public life in this province. 
and he just turned 87 years young yesterday. Monday, April 24th, David Crombie is now 87 years old and still fabulous. Now, as long as we are talking about things an hour north of Toronto, do you know who the town of East Gwillimbury in York Region is named after? You know, it has never occurred to me to wonder that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be the same woman who wanted counties named after her three dogs. Ah. This is the wife of John Grave Simcoe, whose original name was Elizabeth Gwillem. Thus, Gwillimbury is named after her. Now, a reminder, you can always get in touch with us by emailing us at onpolitics at tvo.org. That's onpolitics at tvo.org. As you can tell already, no question is too nerdy for these two nerds to answer. JMM, what have we got up this week? We have an email from a listener named Paul who writes in, Good afternoon, JMM and SP. I loved the discussion about regional government in relation to the nerd scale. (laughs) Steve forgot to mention three of the regional governments. These were the Regional Municipality of Ottawa-Carleton, the Regional Municipality of Sudbury, and the Regional Municipality of Haldeman norfolk Mm, Right. To hit 10 out of 10 on the nerd scale, one must correctly identify where each lower tier municipality went when Ontario County was dissolved. Hint, some became part of other counties. Okay, I... I don't know the full answer to this one, but I do know that most of Ontario County ended up in Durham Region because there used to be a federal riding at election time called Ontario. The riding was called Ontario, even though it was only just one little chunk of the province of Ontario, and it was in Durham. It disappeared in 1997. I remember this. It was basically Pickering, Whitby, Oshawa, that area of the province. But I do not know the other counties that Ontario County disappeared into. Don't tell me you know that. Do you know that off the top of your head? I did not know that off the top of my head. And my excuse for not knowing that off the top of my head is that Ontario County disappeared a few years before I was born. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I did have to look this one up. But as, as you say, uh, much of the southern part of what was Ontario County uh, is now in what we would call Durham region, Pickering, Whitby, uh, Oshawa. Uh, but it, it extended much further north than the current Durham region does. And so part of that became York Region. And there was even a part that extended uh, further north than York Region currently does. And it would uh, go sort of all the way along the eastern shore of Lake Simcoe into, you know, uh, right up to the the Trent Severn Waterway. And that part got folded into Simcoe County. And there was even a small bit of land that was on uh, the other side of the Rouge River from what is now Durham Region. It is, is now a part of Scarborough. And so you had this this massive sprawling county that got carved up into Durham region, York region, Simcoe County, and uh, at the time, Metro Toronto. Uh, so just, yeah, a huge sprawling story. I had no idea. I had to look this all up. I've always fun to learn something new. So thank you to our listener, Paul. I think half the people are praising Paul and half the people are cursing Paul right now for sending that in because anyway, you know why. Yeah, if you'd like to ask anything about any bit of the content on our program or quiz us or whatever, on politics at tvo.org. And now, on to issue one. Other parts of the world, including our neighbors to the south, were willing to put up an awful lot of money to get this project there. Everyone wanted this. So, yes, we put up a lot of money, money that's going to come back in investments in economic activity very quickly. That was the Prime Minister last week where he and the Premier of Ontario unveiled more details on what we now know 
is a $13 billion plan for Volkswagen to build its electric vehicle battery plant in St. Thomas in southwestern Ontario. JMM, before we get into this, why don't you walk us through some of the background details? So this plant is set to employ up to 3,000 people and create uh, tens of thousands of spin-off jobs. Obviously, if VW is producing batteries, it needs both uh, inputs for those batteries, and then hopefully uh, it will have plants to feed those batteries into. Uh, Volkswagen is investing $7 billion in building the plant. It would be the largest EV battery plant in the world. Prime Minister Trudeau also said in the announcement last week, this is the largest electric vehicle-related investment in Canada's history and the largest deal in the province. Hmm. All right. In spite of all of those very big and impressive numbers, this deal obviously does not come without controversy because there are significant taxpayer subsidies included in the deal, up to $13 billion over the next decade, and hundreds of millions of dollars in outright grants have also been offered to Volkswagen to get the job done. Now, we have federal and provincial governments that have decided that they want Ontario Canada to be number one in the world when it comes to the EV markets of the future. And they are adamant that these taxpayer subsidies will pay for themselves down the road. Having said that, the federal conservative leader Pierre Polyev isn't sure that's the case, and he's asked an officer of parliament to crunch the numbers so we can find out how much each job created is being subsidized, and whether we will, in fact, see that return on investment somewhere down the road. I'll also note that the Prime Minister took a, a bit of a poke at uh, local Conservative MP Karen Vecchio, who was at the announcement, uh, very genially uh, saying to the MP, you know, see if you can get your leader on board to support these jobs and investments, because uh, he only criticizes and opposes our government, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, but a bit of a, a smile on his face as he did it, some laughter in the room. I, didn't didn't come off as nasty, I think, but a little bit of a poke. Un- uncomfortable laughter or uproarious laughter? Uh, somewhere, somewhere between in between. <laughs> okay, good. But I know you are here for the right reasons, Karen, and you know how good this is uh, for St. Thomas. Well, let's keep analyzing this deal. What else have you got your eye on here? Uh, you know, it will not shock listeners that I have my mind on housing. Uh, always a big issue. And in southwestern Ontario, I mean, as much as anywhere in the province, uh, you know, uh, homes are where jobs go to sleep at night. Those workers need to have uh, homes somewhere within a, a reasonable commuting distance of the factory. Uh, not to mention that uh, St. Thomas and the, the greater London area, uh, they are uh, seeing a few uh, new facilities open. A, a new uh, maple leaf plant opened last year that was $770 million and will have 1,600 workers. There's also uh, an Amazon distribution center that will also need about 1,500 workers. So a major influx of jobs and uh, obviously, good news for workers, good news for families in the area. But much like everywhere else in the province, getting housing built is going to be uh, a major struggle. Sure. There's also the environmental impact that needs to be considered here. Batteries are being used for electric vehicles. Okay, we know that much. That's good for the environment in terms of no carbon dioxide going out the tailpipe of these vehicles and into the atmosphere. But let's also recall building these batteries and building these cars takes a whole lot of electricity and natural resources. And if the electricity required is generated through environmentally friendly means, well, that's fine. And fortunately, in Ontario, the vast majority of our electricity generation is clean and green. But in a lot of places, it isn't. So if you're polluting to generate the electricity needed to recharge these batteries, then we're really no further ahead. Obviously, these kinds of advances have to be accompanied by advances in cleaner mining and electricity generation and so on. 
One final note about the dollar figures involved here. Uh, one of the clauses in the agreement between Canada and Volkswagen is that some of the money only flows so long as the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act is in place. This is the major piece of climate legislation that was passed last year. Canada really uh, very obviously pretty <laughs> nakedly competing with the U.S. for factory locations, and you really can't overstate just how much money the Americans are putting on the table. Uh, Canada is certainly not the only government that is kind of grumbling behind the scenes about having to shell out these huge sums to land these kinds of manufacturing jobs because of the IRA. European governments, if anything, have been even louder in their uh, discontent. But, uh, you know, that is the reality we face right now. And it's uh, certainly it's not like Canada isn't used to having to accept a reality dictated by other bigger governments and their economies. Right. Well, this is a story that will obviously be unfolding for many, many years to come, and we will keep an eye on it for you. And with that, we're on to issue two. Okay, let's set this up with a listener question. Someone named Lucas asks... I would love to hear about the newly proposed Better School and Student Outcomes Act, and what does this mean for Ontario's 72 school boards? Lucas, thank you for the question. Let's get into that now. Last week, Minister of Education Stephen Lecce unveiled a new bill that would give him more power over local school boards and directing those boards to focus on more labor-ready career training. JMM, give us some of the deets if you would. So this is Bill 98, uh, as you mentioned, the Better Schools and Student Outcomes Act. And, um, you know, I, I want to zoom out just a little bit before I get into this and say, you know, one of the things that would surprise a lot of people, even people who keep an eye on provincial politics, is how much of education policy actually doesn't happen at the province at all. Rather, it is done by the school boards themselves with substantial provincial oversight, of course. But still today in Ontario, a lot of the action happens at the school board level. But over many decades, power has tended to concentrate at Queen's Park, uh, not least because Queen's Park now pays for the lion's share of education bills. Um, and in that sense, uh, the bill introduced by Minister Lecce last week is just part of a long sort of continuum here, a long history. This new bill would let the minister set provincial priorities in education with a focus on reading, writing, and math. It would also force school boards to report on their progress on those priorities and allow the government to make those reports public so that parents would know how good a job their school board is doing. Uh, it also gives the province more power to oversee school board finances, uh, and that would include, for example, uh, letting the minister forbid school boards from engaging in uh, business agreements that might put their financial stability at risk. Uh, one other detail, and I wrote about this for TVO.org, and people can find that uh, article online. Uh, the bill does say that the minister may direct a board to sell, lease, or otherwise dispose of surplus school properties, uh, part of a school property, uh, or anything that is not uh, it needed to meet current or future uh, enrollments and uh, pupil accommodations. And what is the idea behind all of that? So the goal here is to use these sites for, uh, again, provincial priorities. So that could be uh, childcare. It could be a long-term care home. It could be affordable housing. We've heard that if there is a need for the property, then it could be uh, first sold to another school board. But if the land isn't needed by uh, the language in the government is the, a coterminous school board. So Ooh. in the same way that Ontario... Coterminous school board. Yeah. It's a phrase that only a bureaucrat could love. <laughs> but, you know, Ontario, of course, has a public school system and a Catholic school system, and then it has uh, French uh, school systems as well. And those school boards all have overlapping uh, uh, jurisdictions geographically. So in Toronto, for example, the Toronto 
public school board could sell to a, a Toronto Catholic school board or one of the French language boards. If those school boards don't need the the land, then it could end up going to the government. The government is, uh, with this bill, effectively giving itself the right of first refusal after those school boards. And uh, the government could put it towards those provincial priorities we mentioned, right? Affordable housing, long-term care being the ones that they, they really want to emphasize. Um, you know, after that, there has always been a, a process for uh, the school boards to uh, dispose of surplus land on the open market uh, to help uh, fund their operations. And, uh, you know, the the minister is really emphasizing that, uh, you know, the government is serious about wanting the school boards to really focus on their own financial sustainability. And so you could see more school sites being sold uh, to uh, private development, even outside of these uh, provincial priorities. Uh, although, given how much this government likes to talk about affordable housing, you would hope that at least some of these developments would have, uh, you know, homes created at uh, below market rates. Well, let's look at this from an other angle, because this presumably could get pretty controversial because, well, let's face it, local school closures are never popular, even if they're merited. No, that's absolutely correct. And there is something kind of odd about uh, the announcement last week. There is currently a moratorium on school closures in Ontario, uh, precisely because the prospect of closing local schools was uh, incredibly unpopular uh, under Kathleen Wynne's government. The issue really came to a head, especially uh, the issue of closing rural schools uh, back when uh, Mincy Hunter was education minister. Uh, The Ford government has not revisited that moratorium. It it remains in place today. So uh, the surplus sites that we're discussing here are cases where the school boards already had under-enrolled schools more than five years ago. Uh, But unless the Tories uh, abandoned the current moratorium, you wouldn't necessarily see new school closures either. I I don't have a lot to say about this, except it does seem like an (laughs) odd arrangement we're talking about. In which case, we move on to issue three. The Ontario Superior Court of Justice dismissed a case last week from seven young Ontarians who want the province to set more aggressive targets in its climate policy, that is, uh, targets to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in Ontario. If the seven had won, the government would have had to reverse its uh, lowering of greenhouse gas emissions targets. Uh, But it seems like with this uh, court decision that, uh, at least for now, uh, the government has nothing to worry about. Indeed. The judge in this case had some choice words for Premier Ford. Justice Marie-André Vermette wrote, By not taking steps to reduce greenhouse gases in the province further, Ontario is contributing to an increase in the risk of death and in the risks faced by the applicants, in other words, the seven young people, and others with respect to the security of the person. Basically, she's saying the government of Ontario is increasing the risk of future generations dying from climate catastrophe, but she's also saying that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms cannot be used to prevent the government from taking on weaker anti-pollution targets. So, in some sense, she gave the kids a bit of a shot in the arm there, but on the other hand, they lose. Yeah. So folks who uh, took political philosophy in school may remember the difference between uh, positive rights and negative rights. A negative right is when you are free from the government forcing you to do something. But a positive right is where the government has an obligation to guarantee a freedom to you. The court here found that the 
provincial climate policies are causing real harms by making climate change in Ontario worse, but that the charter doesn't force the government to maintain a livable climate for generations to come. Uh, EcoJustice, which is a, an environmental NGO that uh, helped represent the youths, called it a partial victory because the court did confirm a lot of the substantial facts in question. Uh, the, the judge also drew on a lot of the facts that were established in the uh, carbon tax reference that uh, the Supreme Court heard uh, a few years back. Even before the case went to trial, uh, the government had actually hoped to have it dismissed outright. The, the government argued that there was no you know, plausible case here. And they lost that argument. Uh, the court really did want to hear the full argument and give it a full hearing. Uh, this at least, you know, does put more of a spotlight uh, on legal challenges like this. You know, young people trying to hold uh, governments accountable, not just here in Ontario. You know, this is the world that young people are going to have to live in uh, long after uh, many of us uh, will not. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, the Ford government has had a few losses in court on the environment file, but uh, technically they have won here. So is that the end of this? Uh, maybe not. Uh, the young appellants and EcoJustice have already announced that they will try to appeal this to the Court of Appeals. Uh, it will be some months before the court announces whether it will even hear the appeal. Uh, but if folks are curious, we have certainly been uh, covering this uh, on our website at tvo.org, and we will, of course, continue to keep an eye on it. We sure will. That is the On Poly podcast for this Tuesday, April 25th, 2023. Please remember to check out our newsletters. You can subscribe at tvo.org slash newsletters. This week, JMM and I riff on about this government's proclivity to make big, splashy announcements about science centers or subway lines without necessarily doing all the due diligence they should be doing. Any feedback you have, we are happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here's a note from listener David who wrote, Don't forget the city of Kawartha Lakes, a very strange single-tier municipality created as a result of the recommendation from a one-person task force. Oh, boy. I, I, I potentially dread going down this road, but uh, okay, what the heck? What's the story here? Uh, in a nutshell, the area was once known as Victoria County, but was amalgamated in 2001 during the PC's Common Sense Revolution. Through the legislation, Victoria County and many municipalities like Argyle, Bob Cajun, Cobaconk, Fenlon Falls, Lindsay, and Rosedale became the city of Kawartha Lakes. Ooh. There was a vote in 2003 to de-amalgamate the area, which actually passed by a 51 to 49 vote, but no action was taken. <laughs> and who was the one-person task force? That was Harry Kitchen, who later actually said he regretted calling the area the city of Kawartha Lakes. He said he was told that calling it a city would allow the region to you know, roll with the big boys and show up in searches <laughs> for companies looking to relocate, that kind of thing. It is a nice name, though, don't you think? The city of Kawartha Lakes. I like I, I, yeah. I can't say I've spent a ton of time in Kawartha Lakes, but I, I do always like going through it. It's a very pretty country. It is indeed. Sounds good, too. Huh, the more you know. There we go. <laughs> this week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shahiyar Tejvidi. Production support from Daniel Kitts and Jonathan Halliwell. Until next Tuesday, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.